to another Philanthropy Plugged In podcast, a series exploring the intersection of technology, gender, and giving. My name is Jeannie Sager, and I'm the director of the Women's Philanthropy Institute and your host for this podcast series. Thank you for joining us. This episode is about community. Today, moderator Diane Chips Bailey and three wonderful guests, Karen Locke, Ashley Spivey, and Rosalind Dawson Thompson. We'll look at how women are intentional about creating community in the digital age. The reality is that women have always come together in this country to address social issues. The history of women's philanthropy in the United States is intertwined with large social movements such as abolition, suffrage, temperance, prison reform, civil rights, and women's rights. Then, as now, women have often worked along parallel tracks according to one aspect of their identity, women of color on one track and white women on another, and also by class and religion, as well as race. Some organizations provide opportunities to create community according to donor interests, and also bring people together across community. Sociologists describe the ways people come together as social capital. There are two main types of social capital, bonding capital that connects people within community and bridging capital that connects people from different communities. On our program today, two giving circles, the Orchid Giving Circle and IB Black Girl, are examples of bonding capital. The board of the Texas Women's Foundation is an example of bridging capital. We are delighted to welcome WPI Council Member Diane Chips Bailey and our guests who have had deep experience with creating community. Diane, I'll turn the mic over to you. Thank you, Jeannie. And hello, I'm Diane Chips Bailey. I'm the National Philanthropic Strategy Executive at Bank of America and a grateful member of the WPI Council and also the Women's Impact Fund Giving Circle. Bank of America is thrilled to sponsor this podcast series. Um, today, I am delighted um, to welcome Rosalind, Karen, and Ashley. And before we jump into our conversation, I hope they'll take just a moment uh, to introduce themselves and also share why they're so passionate about women's philanthropy and today's theme in particular. Rosalind? Thank you so much, Diane. I'm really thrilled to be with you and um, Ashley and Karen today. So thank you very much. I'm Rosalind Dawson Thompson, and my role uh, is CEO and president of Texas Women's Foundation. Um, it's a role I've had for the past, since 2011. And before that, I was involved in the organization as a volunteer and, and uh, donor. Um, so women's philanthropy, a la Texas Women's Foundation has been a big part of my life for uh, almost 35 years. So uh, I'm very, very passionate about what we do and how we do it and supporting women and girls. Um, and also very excited that we are the fiscal uh, sponsor for four marvelous giving circles, two African-American giving circles, one Asian-American Pacific Islander circle, and one Hispanic Latino. In a circle. Um, so that is, that's my story. 
Wonderful. We're thrilled to have you. Karen, how about you next? Great. Well, good morning, Diane, and thank you so much for moderating and sponsoring, and certainly thank you to WPI for allowing this fabulous podcast to go forward in light of all that's going on in the world. Well, during the daytime, I work at TIAA as a in-house government relations uh, professional, so I lobby during the daytime. But my real passion um, throughout the rest of the hours is working on women and girls issues. I had the pleasure of serving um, under Roz, uh, Rosalind Dawson Thompson at the Texas Women's Foundation as the immediate past board chair. So for the last close to 10 years, I've been affiliated and working on women's issues through TWF. About five years ago, a group of Asian women kind of we organically got together and formed the Orchid Giving Circle. And that is focused on um, nonprofits that service or is led by a Asian American. So that's in a nutshell. Um, we can get into more details in a little bit, but thank you for the opportunity. Wonderful. Um, Ashley, just delighted to have you and hope that you'll share a bit as well. Yes, I'm excited to be here, especially in this new format, given all of the changes and new normal that everyone is experiencing. Um, but I'm Ashley Spivey in Omaha, Nebraska. I have worked in philanthropy for about three years and am the founder and director for Ivy Black Girl, which is a collective that supports Black women and girls to access their full potential. One of the levers in which we do that with is through a giving circle kind of quasi fund, where we intentionally and unapologetically center Black women and girls here in the Omaha area. Um, we raise funds through everyday Black women who are interested in supporting, controlling, and defining our narratives, as well as through institutional funders that also want to support um, Black women and girls without being in the forefront. So um, yeah, I'm excited to be here, and I guess we'll talk about it. Uh, Ivy Black Girl more. I can't wait. Um, let's just dive into the conversation. Um, Roslyn, Texas Women's Foundation. It is one of the preeminent women's funds um, in the country, a large public grant-making foundation. I think your budget is $10 million. Um, you bring together um, women um, from all kinds of backgrounds. Um, you sponsor, as you mentioned, four identity-based giving circles. But you also have a diverse board and staff and um, certainly a diverse um, group of grantees. When you think about community at the Texas Women's Foundation, tell us um, how you approach it and in particular, what are giving circles? Um, what's the role that they play in your strategies? Great. Well, I'll start with a little bit of history because it really does characterize our organization today uh, as well. When we were founded in 1985, uh, we were founded by an incredibly diverse group of women. I mean, every ethnicity, every political uh, concept, uh, every kind of financial wherewithal, um, every race, every ethnicity, every culture. And I think that has been a huge part of the strength of this organization is that ongoing, long-term commitment to diversity. Uh, our board is very diverse for um, um, 
pleased to say, and, and Karen, as a former board chair, can attest to this, because uh, your leadership meant a lot in that regard. Um, but our board is about 48% um, women of color and LGBTQ. Our staff is over 50%. And uh, again, this is a reflection of our heritage and a reflection of the community we are. Um, within this community, uh, we like to say, I, I always borrow this from Ava DuVernay, who said, you know, if you're not at the table, build your own. <laughs> I think, you know, in 1985, women had to build a table for themselves because no one was um, in, enabling a community of women to address the issues um, and the disparities affecting women and girls. Um, as we move into the current day, we still see that the table needs to stay big, and ours is, um, I, I'm happy to say, very large with the addition of our giving circles um, being a, a, a wonderful way to create bonded communities within a, a huge uh, environment of, of, our, of our overall community. We operate that community with a concept of and, not or. And so just as the Karen will attest, you know, as my former board chair, and also as a founder of the Orchid Giving Circle, um, there are many places where the community overlaps itself in a very powerful and wonderful way. I think that really that diversity and connection to one another is the, are the threads that we pull through across our entire community. I love that, Rosalind. Um, and Karen, what a great introduction um, um, by Rosalind to the work that you're doing and how important it is. You know, I, I read an article in which you um, were quoted as remembering that feeling, right? That feeling when you first walked into a meeting of the Orchid Giving Circle and how great it felt um, to be in a room full of people who looked like you. And I wonder if you could just elaborate um, on this experience and your connection to the Orchid Giving Circle. Absolutely. So in Dallas, I think there is a tendency to think of Dallas with a certain level of lens, cowboy, cowboy hats and you know, cowboy boots and mostly very male-centric. Um, however, there are a lot of women out there doing great work. Rosalind's one of them, our board, they're just there are so many of, um, of us out there. But specifically though, is the concept of having people who look, at, look like us, who really does create that sense of community that Rosalind was talking about. And I would bump into different women that look like me or women in the South Asian community, but we've never collectively gotten together. That much was clear because we would see each other across a conference room or we'll see each other across a dinner or a big fundraiser, but we would never really get together to collectively give or collectively make an impact in our own backyard. So honestly, I just walked up to another woman that I see all the time, Cynthia Young, and we just started talking. We found out that we were both Chinese. Uh, we both spoke Chinese in the household. That was our first language. And the ideas started blossoming from this kind of organic get together. We decided though that our community had so many different variables, different languages and different cultures. So what we said was we were very, we were gonna be very intentional to include a bigger net of Asians so that they didn't just look like me and Cynthia, 
but that they look like our orchid sisters, um, that Sage El Desai, their uh, gallery, we just have a big net of Asian women who got together. And the whole point is, is because we need a community and we are purposeful to not call each other members, but sisters. And we really do feel that level of connection that we are part of a, something bigger. And so that was kind of how we got together. But the first meeting that the Women's Foundation hosted for us, when I walked in that room and there were 20 of us, it just felt so uplifting. It warmed my heart, I looked around, and it was that moment that I really felt like we were doing something that was going to have a lasting impact in our Asian culture, but also living a legacy behind for our sisters who came before us and mothers who came before us. Thank Fascinating. you know, I, I look at your deep connectivity with your sisters. I love how you describe that in the orchid giving circle, and then how you translated that experience um, as a member of the overall board um, for the Women's uh, Texas Women's Foundation, um, ultimately as board chair. How do you balance um, being part of those um, communities, the um, the sub, and then the uh, greater organization? Well, the beauty of what um, the Women's Foundation have done is really been um, at leading at the forefront of women's issues and identifying donors and identifying the community that really receives that love and that joy and the support. And Rosalind's vision, and I knew Rosalind before Orchid Giving Circle got started, so full disclosure, I've been a huge admirer of hers for years. So when the opportunity to, to put this uh, concept together. And we had many names. I mean, ultimately became Orchid Giving Circle. But the concept was really nurtured by consulting with our other sisters in New York, Asian Women Giving Circle. But we took a lot of guidance and a lot of behind the scenes um, tutoring from Rosalind. And ultimately, it was, it was easy to combine the two because the mission of the foundation, as well as the mission of Orchid, was very much aligned. So, for, so if you think about it, ORCID is really just a subset of women that want to give, women that want to get together and create a sense of community. That was exactly what the Women's Foundation did 35 years ago. So there's, no, there's really no difference and there wasn't any conflict. It was just finding a way to merge our interests together. Now our giving is focused in the North Texas community, but that's also very similar to what the Women's Foundation's original goal was. So our geography aligned quite well, our mission aligned very well, and they have just been a huge proponent of giving circles. As you can tell, Rosalind mentioned multiple giving circles have now been formed under the umbrella of Texas Women's Foundation, and we're just very proud to be one of the first. Bravo, bravo, just really um, tremendous. And connects so directly with um, what I perceive, um, but we're so excited to learn more about what Ashley has created um, in cultivating her giving circle, IB Black Girl, which is housed within the Women's Fund of Omaha, 
Um, Ashley, I'm so curious to know how your experiences building community are similar, uh, but maybe different um, from Karen's at the Texas Women's Foundation. Yes, um, I do think that there are some similarities. Um, our journey was a little bit different. So um, my co-conspirator, Jay Warren Teamer, is my partner in Ivy Black Girl. So we really started out wanting to create a space for Black women and girls just to be. We are traditionally the first or only in our roles. Um, and so that comes with navigating a lot of microaggressions. It's very exhausting. Um, and so we just wanted a space in general to just pour back into each other and kind of rejuvenate. And so as uh, we both became um, practitioners in philanthropy, she's worked in philanthropy for about five years um, in corporate and I was at a private foundation for three, um, we also started to notice the difference in uh, power building and how decisions were made, how resources were wielded. And I'm a community organizer by trade, so I really care about what is happening with community versus to community, how do we make sure people have the tools to navigate and decide their own trajectory, how they define themselves, so on and so forth. And so um, as we were building Ivy Black Girl in general as a collective we felt like hey this could be a really great opportunity to look at philanthropy very differently given our experiences and really pull in um, our community black identifying folks and allies to say here's a way to reimagine philanthropy here's a way to reimagine how you give like people can't even spell philanthropy okay like it is a lot of barriers to access when you're talking about it and so um, when Jay was searching for a partner to house as we looked at the community foundation and other places, we really found a strong home and partner at the Women's Fund. Um, their executive director has been in place, I think, for about eight years now and really worked to change the trajectory of how they show up in community. They're starting to look at racial equity and how does that intersect with gender equity and just doing things um, in a very different way and really trying to be innovative and intentional about how they approach the work. And so as a partner, they have really stepped up and to me um, are true allies in, in this space. And you can't like call yourself an ally, somebody else has to. And so we have said like, yes, you are an ally. They um, put up resources. They do more than just a, a traditional fiscal sponsor. What's on paper, um, all of our communications back in is through them. So I come up with the ideas they execute. They have put money towards our budget. They don't charge us an overhead or admin fee. Like they are truly showing up for us to say this is important. We recognize this. Let us pour into you and pour into the work without hijacking. Um, and so that has been such a great experience that it has led us to really um, evolve quite quickly in our work we're still all volunteer led. Um, and so we're able to really have maximum impact because of the infrastructure support and partnership that we have um, with Women's Fund, which I think is really transformational when you're looking at any kind of community building effort to have a partnership like that. Such important insights, Ashley. You know, these very um, practical, um, but also um, subtle and important dynamics around how you create um, community when um, truly honoring and celebrating um, cultural differences. I would really welcome the opportunity for um, Karen and Rosalind to revisit um, that part of the conversation. I know our listeners would benefit tremendously um, from your insights about um, addressing cultural differences when creating truly um, inclusive philanthropic communities. 
Well, this is Rosalind. I'm, I'm happy to start the ball rolling. Um, you know, that the um, very much responding to what Ashley's saying about the traditions within philanthropy and certainly even within women's philanthropy, there was um, a bias um, that was implicit in uh, a lot of the realities of women's philanthropy where white women were leading. And um, thank God that's changing. Um, and, but it's changing principally by, um, let's use the other word, intentionality of not um, allowing things to be as they have been. Much of the work that we've been undertaking um, in the last several years has been about taking some of those traditions and turning them on their head um, because it is far past time for us to be doing things to populations and not for and with. Um, so I guess our philosophy of um, addressing cultural differences is starts in a place of honor and respect and then moves from that place to also an admission and an understanding that many folks have been standing at the intersection of privilege and power for a very long time and must be willing to move off of that place and make space. So um, in terms of our acknowledgement of cultural differences, it is to, to truly and honestly make space and support what must be done at the ground level, not at what traditional philanthropy has perceived. This is Ashley. If I can jump back in really quick, Karen, before you um, start. When we um, started to look at our giving circle, that was really important to us, um, as Rosalind mentioned, to look at like what does power and privilege look like and, and how can we um, really be innovative and change that narrative. And so for us, we really look at Black women and girls um, very openly. Like So however you define that, and it's in like our communications and, and our graphics, and hopefully people can feel that when they have their first touch with us like if you are a trans woman and you identify as black like yes you're here if you're afro-latina like yes and you identify like we want all these different narratives and it's really important to co-create and so even with our where our giving circle is two years old now and so the first year we set out uh, a goal to raise 10,000, we end up raising 50. <laughs> like we set our expectations low, like we don't know what's gonna happen and we'll just see. And so then we raised 50 and our second year we raised 45. And so with that, we really try to push and help um, Black women, again, however you identify, understand that we've been philanthropists. Like we have given through church traditionally, we take care of family, we send money back home. Like we do all these things already, but we're asking you to trust us through this very specific outlet to have more collective power together, which is very indigenous to us as African folks. And so we've really tried to bring in all of these different elements of community that, that either have been lost because of the, of the diaspora or um, because of, uh, you know, dominant white narratives, like whatever that may be, we really try to bring in these different um, perspectives and opportunities and say, now co-create with us. Like we have a, a leadership committee that helps with the decision-making and the, and the aspirations of where we go, but we really lean on the folks that are involved in the giving circle or the collective more holistically to say, this is what community is saying. And so we need to 
to then be responsive and not just where we sit, because I sit in seats of privilege as well, even as a Black identifying woman. And so that was a really important piece that we always try to make sure that we're reflective in to Rosalind's point of, of power and privilege. So this is Karen. Thank you so much for that question. And it really goes to the heart, the, the definition of community and recognizing the different cultures and how do we lean into that. ORCID, when we first started, was really thoughtful about growing a bigger net. But we also realized the reason why we needed to collectively get together and to give as a unit is because less than 1% of all philanthropic dollars goes into the Asian community. So we decided that we wanted to focus on our own backyard. So we live here, we give here. The point of that is because we wanted to see the direct impact. We really felt like because this is this community, the Dallas area community or North Texas community has raised us in some sense. Some of us were, went to school here, some of us moved in, but all together, the need is so great, but yet only 1% of the dollars really go back into our community. Part of that is because there is a sense that we are the, uh, the model minority, and we try very hard to fight the model minority concept. It's something that, that it happened around the same time when the whole Harvard education uh, lawsuit happened. So we were very thoughtful about trying to fight the stereotype that we're the model minority. Focusing on the communities that really need it, the refugee community, the, the arts, we're not historically very well represented in the arts. We are very reluctant to talk about tragedies that are imp, uh, inflicted on our community, either domestic violence, um, cancer. There, we still, we in the Chinese community, still don't like to talk about cancer. So we're trying to address within our community all the different taboos and all the different things that are underserved. So when we grant, we are very thoughtful about the six different tranches that we grant to, so that we're not focused on only reacting to a need of domestic violence or the arts. We break it all down. So, um, and we, we've been very fortunate because the women that belong to the giving circle are right now, most of us are in positions of comfort. So we want to take that and turn it around and make it so that we are highlighting the need. So taking all the women that are able to give or get $2,500 a year and turning that around and highlighting the greater need that is in the refugee community to this day, and political persecution, just, just all the different things that fight against the model minority concept. Thank you. Karen, you raised so many important points. Um, I want to revisit one of them, and that's um, the place-based focus of the um, ORCID Giving Circle. We live here, we give here. I know that so many giving circles, um, in addition to being very um, local in their giving, also really um, utilize their physical proximity to gather together for events, um, uh, shared learning opportunities, uh, certainly celebration of their grantees. And this year, um, when we find ourselves in a position of social distancing, um, we're all doing more online and really thinking creatively about how to create this community in new ways. 
Um, it's at the heart of the research of the Women's Philanthropy Institute. I would invite all of you to share strategies that you've seen be successful in the utilization of technology um, to bring people closer together uh, when we're craving community um, now, perhaps even more than ever. I'll be happy to jump in to talk about um, the use of technology and the benefit actually of the technology this year. We are in the middle of our grant review and historically we would all gather together and meet for an hour and a half to go through the slate of applications. Not everyone can really get together on a Sunday or a Saturday afternoon. So this year, because of social distancing, we had to use Zoom. We have 39 participants, so 39 sisters. We have a total of 60, uh, 60 sisters right now. So a pretty good turnout, no, uh, no matter what. But because we use technology, we were able to record the whole conversation and put that out there for the other 21 members who were not able to participate. And it, it turned out to be a blessing in disguise because we have a lot more participation because of the technology. And most importantly, because we use Zoom, we were able to capture the questions and folks could then read and reply back to different chains. Um, and we, it's actually been more efficient. We were able to finish on time had greater participation as well as greater feedback. And actually afterwards, one of the grants that were not going forward because of the after the fact participation did make it to the next round. So to me, that was evidence of why technology was so important in terms of efficiency and as well as content. Thanks. So this is Ashley. Um, one of the things that I'm really proud of is that we have always been really virtual. And so when we think about accessibility, it is really tough for folks to get um, engaged. And so to toot our own horn a little bit, we were featured at Facebook um, last year as one of five organizations that utilize some of their platforms around connectedness and how do you build um, a sense of community virtually. And so we got to meet with Cheryl Sandberg and were featured in Forbes about kind of our approach. Um, what we have always tried to do, one, is just look at what are the ways in which we can engage. So if we have something in person, what does it look like from a group standpoint? Um, we have a a group, um, Facebook like has groups that you can let folks in. So again, you have to identify as a black woman and girl, but we have over a thousand folks in there. 90% um, are business owners. We have a newsletter that we use. Um, we do do in-person events. So we really try to think about what are all of our outlets and what does that look like for folks to really get engaged? And so what we've been doing now is to think about like what would folks wanna do in person that we can now do virtually? And so Insecure, for example, is a really popular show on HBO. It's like the first black, uh, the show that has a black woman that is a producer, writer, and star. Um, and is like a, the number one show on their channel. And so we did uh, an after show dish where we got on Instagram live. We um, let people host the different segments, ask questions. We were all in our robes hair bonnets, had our drinks, and we just had a good little kiki. Like we just talked, talked about the show. Again, a way to just decompress with all the things happening around us and still engage authentically. Um, we ask questions every day in our group and we allow folks to post and ask questions. So it's interactive. It's not just at the leads. Um, and through our giving circle, um, we use technology um, to already advance our work. So we use um, a platform where you can score electronically leader, uh, 
um, electronically, people can submit information electronically. And so for us, there hasn't been a huge change, um, but I think there's a, a point to remember that everyone is inundated now with virtual stuff. Like everyone has a Zoom, everyone got a Google Hangout. And so we've also been trying to say like, it's okay not to get on. Like, it's okay. Like, we're just going to maybe type this and let it go. And so we've been also trying to balance that now that um, our new normal uh, people are just trying to actively see what does it look like. Um, and we don't want folks to get too burnt out on the virtual meetings. I would so second that, Ashley, <laughs> that what we, we uh, you know, we employ all the different platforms um, and, and have because uh, within our community, as Karen alluded, we have multiple layers of, of groups that are all part of this, this wonderful big giant tent. And uh, so as we're talking with folks, you know, we have a, about a thousand folks that we connect with pretty much exclusively tech, through technology that we call our army of advocates that are our policy advocacy team around the state. They were recruited online they were uh, informed online and continue to be informed uh, via, the, via technology, um, which has really been kind of a remarkable thing when we launched it. And that you know, was in November of 2018. Um, within four months, we had a thousand people around the state that had signed up to be part of uh, a group to advocate for the, the policies changes that need to happen in the state. Um, for women and for, and for girls. But in terms of, of seven hours of Zooming a day is, is really too much, just yeah. too much. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think uh, giving folks a break and saying, you don't really have to come to this one uh, is, is probably a really good thing. So I, I second your emotion on that. <laughs> Well, it sounds like everybody can agree that um, technology has been a really powerful tool in the midst of this um, health and humanitarian crisis to nurture connectivity, but also to power our giving um, to our grantees that are out there on the front lines doing um, critically important work. Um, you know, and as I reflect on this conversation, um, one of the um, themes that really resonates with me and that I will carry away um, among many others um, today is how we describe ourselves. Um, yes, we're members of Giving Circles, um, but we're also um, co-conspirators, um, sisters, and um, importantly, really claiming our power as philanthropists. Um, and I just want to thank each of you, um, Ashley, Karen and Roslyn uh, for bringing your passion and your expertise and sharing it so generously um, with all of us today. Um, what you're doing um, as philanthropists and through your work um, in giving circles and much more, it's needed now more than ever. Um, so thank you for being with us. And thank you, Jeannie and Women's Philanthropy Institute um, for being the um, go-to resource for all things that are women's leadership and philanthropy. Um, we are grateful for the research that you do and um, more importantly, the impact it has in all of our lives. So um, grateful for the opportunity to be here and um, thank you, thank you. Thanks so much to each of you for your insights about building community. One takeaway for me is the importance of expanding the definition of community so that it is more diverse and more inclusive. 
An advantage of technology is that it allows people to connect beyond the physical space. This episode is part of WPI's Philanthropy Plugged In podcast series, exploring ideas around technology, gender, and giving. Please check out the WPI website, Philanthropy Plugged In, at wpisympi.iupui.edu for more information about all of our activities and podcasts. For Philanthropy Plugged In, I'm Jeannie Sager. Thank you for listening. Philanthropy Plugged In is a production of the Women's Philanthropy Institute at the Indiana University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy at Indiana University, Purdue University at Indianapolis. Music is provided by Localize.